0: by listennotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau.
1: Hello, everyone everywhere, Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Today, we are so blessed that you're joining us as today we'll be continuing a great conversation with former U.S. Air Force combat pilot Michael Dowd. Now, Mike spent 24 years as a pilot in the U.S. Air Force, flying combat missions across seven deployments from 1985 to 2010. He was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for valor in combat. Praise God. Today, he serves the kingdom of God as a pastor of Leptdale Bible Church. And in addition to that, he is a published author with his debut novel, The Gospel. A Redemption and Restoration Story. Pastor Mike uses the power of story to lead his readers through the epic message of good news beginning way back in Genesis where it all started and continues all the way through to Revelation where this amazing story ends and as the Bible says, all things become new. Praise God. This book, The Gospel, A Redemption and Restoration Story, describes doctrinal truth in story form. And... It's where God is the hero and we are being saved. This book is going to help you to understand the Bible in a deeper, more personal way than ever before. So right now, let's jump back into the interview and the conclusion of our discussion with Pastor Michael Dowd. Why did you want to publish this book right now? Um,
2: Because I really believe, you know, I've already alluded to it. I think think the gospel uh, has... uh, the fullness of the gospel is is not a focus of the church right now. I just don't think it is, in, at least in far too many places. Um, even even in churches that I think really are honest to goodnessly, uh, faithfully professing and faithfully following Christ, there there's a hole in their gospel. Uh, and I think for a lot of the church, the, the gospel really has ceased to be uh, the center and the whole of who we are and what we do. Uh, Jesus Christ who he is, the message of all that he has done to save us, and the promise uh, of all that the gospel will do in our lives. In the past, uh, when we come to Christ, we know we're delivered from the judgment and the wrath that we deserve because of our sins, an eternal judgment and wrath. Presently, we know uh, that we are being delivered from from a sinful nature. Uh, You know, Paul Paul describes the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 as the gospel by which we are being saved in the Greek perfect tense, which means it is something rooted in the past that continues into the present. God is about the process of renewing us day by day in our inner persons. Not perfectly. We're never going to be delivered from sin fully in this life. We're still going to have to deal with the sin nature. Confession and repentance is always going to be necessary. But He is bringing to life in us the likeness of His Son. In future tense, ultimately, we will experience that full deliverance through resurrection like we've already talked about. And I think the church has, has allowed way too many things to become the center of its focus, the center of its passions and the center of its attention. And so it's with a great sense of urgency that I wrote the book and and praise God, Deep River Books picked it up and and published it. So I'm thankful for that. But ultimately, Pastor Bob, what I want is for the message to get out. Uh, The Lord, you know, very quickly, I had no desire to be a writer. Uh, I was more than content to be a happy pastor. Uh, and, and he pressed upon me to write this. Uh, and, and I said, I was like Moses, Lord, don't you want someone else to do this? I wanted nothing to do with it. So I I sat down and I said about the work of writing it and I drafted it out. And I said, I looked up when I was done with the draft and I said, okay, Lord, are are you, are you satisfied? I've done this. And he goes, try to get it published. So I, I hung it on a page. Uh, where there was about 50 Christian publishers and I I wrote a a proposal for the book and put it out there. And in the space of a week, I got a response. And I kind of looked up, I kind of looked up and I looked at him and I said, really, you know? And and I kind of I was one of those moments where I was laughing, kind of like Sarah. Really, you're going to do this? You know, I'm in my late 50s, and now you're you're going to bring this new thing into my life. And so, uh, the really the best answer why did I write it now is because he wouldn't let me do otherwise. I could amen. not
1: not do it. Yeah. So, amen, amen. <laughs> That's kind of how I got started into radio ministry. You know, I was as I, without going on the whole story, I was at a ministers' conference on crutches because I was just had knee surgery and uh you know the police department i was working with because of the it was a work related it was an injury that happened on the job mm-hmm. and uh they said you know i was going in procedure take two three weeks off where i come back on light duty and then get back to full duty and then three four months later have to repeat it all over again and they say you know if uh you don't recover fully from this we might have to retire you well you know mm-hmm. I, i'm I, at the time i was like 50 years old right yeah and i was like lord you know should I keep fighting it? Do you have something for me? What is it you want me to do? You know. Mm. And uh, I was at this ministers' conference, and they were wrapping up the morning session. It was about eleven thirty in the morning, and this person leans forward from the row behind me and says, "You need to begin your own weekly thirty-minute online radio program." Mm. <laughs> and I turned around to see who it was because I'm like three rows back from the front, you know. And I'm like, you know, that you know, you're being rude here, type thing, right? There's nobody there. I was like, oh, that's weird, (laughs) type thing, right? (laughs) And I was like, oh. Now, you had to understand, at work, I had to have help check an email, okay? I am Mm -hmm. not technically inclined at all. I was like, Lord, uh, I don't even know what that means. But if I I need a confirmation before I go down that road. If this is really you, Mm -hmm. I need a confirmation. Well, the speaker's wrapping up. He says, "So, in other words, if God tells you to do something, you got to do it. He could tell you to start your own radio program, and you got to do it." I was like, "Oh, no way!" <laughs> and, uh, that's how I got into radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: That's kind of what he does. Sometimes, oh, okay. you know, the hand of the spirit. Sometimes yeah. he sets it upon you and it's so oh. heavy. You feel like if you do anything else, he's just going to crush you. Exactly. You know? Well, I went back yeah. to
1: work when I got back from the ministry. I went back to work and two weeks later, I was promoted, transferred a different detachment and so yeah. Forgot all about it until the next procedure yeah. about six months later. And now they're talking, well, when you come back this time, we're going to send you for a workup. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do? I said, what did I tell you to do? Mm. like well, <laughs> I forgot, so I had to go to my prayer journal and flip the pages back. Oh, there it is, you November know, 8, 2008, with stars all over it, so I wouldn't forget it. Long story short, here we are, you know, 13 Amen. years later. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he, he's doing great Well, I'm great thankful things. for it, so yeah, yeah. Amen. that's Amen. awesome, brother. Uh, You're focused on having churches embrace the great commission. And yes, it it does involve getting people born again, but the command portion of the great commission is to go make disciples,
2: which is the
1: next step after getting them saved. How have you embraced this commission with your church?
2: Uh, I have really, uh, you know, I am, I'm kind of annoying in this way with them, pastor Bob. Uh, When I got, um, when I got into the church, I one of the first things I did, we have you know we have some wonderful ladies in the church, and they're incredibly creative. Uh, and so I had them we have two sections of wall uh, on either side of the altar, and uh, uh, they're large sections of wall, and they're open for everybody to see during the service. and I had matthew 28, uh, 18 uh, through twenty. Uh, painted in large letters in a creative way, you know, with different fonts and things uh, to the the congregations, right? And I had the greatest commandment from Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Uh, And I had both of those things up there on either side. And about every other Sunday, I'll point to one or the other, and I'll remind them, this is who we are. This is what we do uh and it is that and and it is the the full orbed aspect of it we have to go, we have to go you know as a church uh we 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 engage and we we seek to be obedient to the Lord's command to go uh by supporting missionaries around the world uh so we do that, we seek to extend the work of the church in ways where it's beyond our reach to support that work of reaching the lost and building up the saved and caring for the least of these around the world, and then within our community where we are responsible. You know, I, I love Acts 17, where Paul tells the, you know, the philosophers and the thinkers in Athens, he says, you know what, he really put everybody exactly where they're at for the specific purpose so that he might be found. And I, you know, and I take that seriously. And so we are on the corner of Chapel Road and 300 in Newburgh, New York. And and the community around us, you know, is what we are charged to reach. And so we do. Uh, and we have uh, really... Uh, a, a very aggressively pursued, uh, outreach for the sake of doing that. Uh, and then within the church, the oftentimes neglected aspect of the great commission then is building up the, these born again, children, these people who need to grow in Christ and the great burden and work of the church is to do that because Jesus says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you.
1: Uh, and,
2: and that's a, and that's, that's really, that's an odd, that's a never ending work. Uh, and you're always receiving folks that are at the beginning of that walk, and they need to grow from, you know, that, that spiritual childhood. And there are folks that are in the middle, and then there are folks that have, have, by God's grace, have grown to spiritual maturity, you know, and they lead and they teach and they do that. And it's the never-ending cycle. And so really, that's that's our focus. That's our thing. And And every time, you know, I hear something... Or someone says, you know, we got to be, you got to do, or why aren't we doing? I look at them. And and if I'm in the sanctuary, I point at the wall and I go, does it entail doing that? Amen. And if it doesn't, I just go, I go, that's not, that's not why he died and rose again to make possible for us to do. He gave us this life that he gave everything to make possible for the sake of, of heeding his command, building up his kingdom in this world so that he may receive it when he comes.
1: Amen. That's
2: what Amen. we do, and and Praise I am just God. a curmudgeon about that, Pastor Bob. I will yeah. never let us stray. I just don't. Yep.
1: So, yep. Anyway, I'm if the, I do, I'm the same uh, way. There, Amen. Yeah. Praise God, because that's that. You know, yeah. when we got into this ministry, you know, you have to come up with your mission statement, all that stuff, right? And I was praying about that, and the Lord gave me a very simple mission statement. He says, "Here mm-hmm. is your job: get the word out." Amen. Period. End of story. Period. And, yeah. you know, and I said, okay, so we got the mission. Now, how do we do the mission? And I said, by assisting other believers to get the word out about word what out. they are doing. And we yeah. like, are interviewing you, you know, and that's what we do. So I'm the same way. If, if they come in, well, I think we should do something like this. I said, how does that go with our mission statement? Every yeah. decision has to be based off the mission. You know, what you know, and you know where I think you and you- the
2: You know where I think you and I sort of get that mindset is back to the military. What's the mission? You know, there's, there's a thousand things you can do with, with your CAV unit, but what's the mission? I don't need to do a thousand things. I need to do what the chain of command has directed me to do with, with usually hopefully what is a very clear and concise mission. And and the savior gave us a clear and concise mission. It's not hard to understand, honestly, uh, Amen. we, we, we mess it up because, because we want to just and drift from it and it. do other things yeah. and add stuff to it or worse sometimes take things away from yeah. it.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, why, you know, if, if he's sovereign and if he's gracious, why do we need to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you need right. to go because in his plan and according to his will, he has entrusted you as ambassadors for Christ, pleading on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. Second Corinthians five twenty. Yeah. you know? He's he has invested us with that mission. For me, it's simple. Uh, again, kind of going back to the military mindset. I don't struggle at all with the command. If if right. the Lord, if the King of the universe and the Creator of heaven and earth has said, "This is your mission," I don't wrestle with that, brother. I just That's do right. it.
1: That's right. You know. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yes, sir. Charge. On, yes,
2: sir. Come right. on. That's right.
1: <laughs> Oh, man. yeah oh, man. Praise God. share with us some information from your book i mean you start in genesis with the creation of the world. just start there just give us some highlights
2: yeah i i mean i love i love i started in genesis one purposefully so um because genesis one i think is oftentimes misused uh you know well, you probably have been in settings where someone cracks open Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and then the, the the study lurches into a, a discussion of science uh, and uh, the scripture and science and all of those things. And, and I'm not against that. In fact, I'm pretty well versed in all of that stuff. And in the book, you know, yeah. I let folks know right up front, I've studied it well. Uh uh, I can I can really give you a credible argument for, you know, my belief that it li- literally was a creation that occurred in six days and God rested on the seventh. I can do all of that, but let's come back to the text. Why did God inspire Moses to write this? He wrote it to the original audience, which was a people which, if remember the timing, they're in the wilderness. They've been enslaved in a country that is that is hyper pagan. Uh all they know, really. Uh, is is idol worship. The Egyptians had a god for everything. Yeah. Everything was yeah. a god, you know. And so he's bringing this people out of that out of that land and into the wilderness with the promise: I'm going to bring you into the land. And when I bring you into the land, Deuteronomy 28, if you're faithful. If you keep covenant with me, here are the blessings I'm going to bring you into the land. And those blessings were the promise of protection. He would guard them from their enemies. The promise of provision, he would bless their crops and their livestock and make it fruitful. And he would bless their relationships, both with him and with one another, if they were faithful. But for them to do that, to go into this land, they needed to realize that the frogs and the flies and the water and, and, and the hail and the weather and everything is not God. Yeah. The stars are not God. He alone is God. He's created all of those things. And so what does he do in Genesis 1? He takes these people that need to really know that he is God. And he says, here's here's the best explanation for all the things you see. I've made it all. I've made it in a very orderly fashion. And it's beautiful and it's good. Even now in its fallen state, I can still really, if you look at the promise in the land, it's God's promise to in part. If they're obedient, an old covenant promise, I will bless you in the land. I will bring about a a reversal to some extent of the curse. And you will enjoy that. And so, you know, that's the message. And the other thing that's really beautiful is if you pay careful attention to it. uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And most translations say something like, and the earth was was void and without form. In the Hebrew text, the phrase is tofu v'bohu. And it basically means worthless waste place. So now think about the grander message of God's work of redemption. He takes something that's good for nothing. And in a very orderly fashion and by his mighty power, by the way, with the son and the spirit and the father working together by his mighty power, he takes something worthless and progressively he builds it and and restores it to something that he can look on when it's all said and done and call it very good. Pastor Bob, God gives us a picture of how he brings redemption. In Genesis 1. That's the main message. I take things that are broken and messed up and worthless, and I make them very good. And the promise there in Genesis 1 really is that I do that with you too. I will take you because you are a mess. You're broken. Yep. Yeah, There's nothing good about you. Amen. You follow the prince of the power of the air. Your sinful desires are all that drive you. And I take you and I turn you into something that will grow in a new way to become like my son. That's Amen. powerful. And Genesis 1 yeah. does that, you Amen. know. Amen. So that's, that's the start. And and really, you know, the, the beauty of it is that when you get to the end of the book and you get to the end of the Bible, you see in Revelation 21 and 22, God takes, you know. Begin with this premise. Yes, Genesis 3, Satan enters into the equation. Yes, uh he, he deceives humanity. Yes, sin enters into humanity and in all of creation because of Adam and Eve's sin. And they're a faithful type, so they reproduce across all of, of, of humanity. Romans chapter five. Uh, everybody is sinful, everybody's destined for death and judgment and wrath because of that. Yeah, true. Satan gains dominion. Uh we were given dominion. Uh, But he comes and he presents himself as a beast of the field, which Adam and Eve had dominion over, Genesis 1. And he gets them to submit to his will. And in so doing, we surrender dominion and he takes it, which is why Jesus refers to him as the ruler of this world three times in John's gospel. But you know what? A day is going to come when Satan's dominion is going to be taken away forever. And we are going to be given dominion back to rule and to reign with him forever and ever as more than conquerors, and so Revelation 21 and 22 gives us that picture of creation restored. I'm going to make a new heaven, a new earth. Sin is going to be forever re- eradicated in you and in all of the universe. And and here's right. the really mind That's blowing right. thing, Pastor Bob, is that in Hebrews one, uh, the Scripture teaches us that the Lord Jesus uh, is the heir of all things. All things. And I oftentimes ask my congregation guys, what's all things? And they go, well, all things, there's not a speck of dust in the corner of the universe that Jesus Christ is not heir to. And in Romans eight, he says, you know what? We're joint heirs with him. Exactly. Is that not a mind blowing thought that we will not only be given dominion, but we will be given given dominion along with the son of all things. Uh, And so really, that's, you know, that what appears to be a defeat in Genesis 3 uh, is not a defeat. It's yeah. just God doing what he needs to do to bring about his victory ultimately over Satan, over sin, and over death. And what does the cross look like? By all estimation, it looks like defeat, but it's not. Uh, in fact, Colossians 2, really what's happening there is the powers and principalities unseen are being paraded. Uh, as the spoils of war set to open shame, publicly humiliated by Jesus Christ, who was seemingly being publicly humiliated on the cross. Oh, no, not so. And so the book really tries to capture that whole vibe,
1: Pastor Bob. That's so exciting. Amen. Amen. Let me ask this. What does it mean for a believer to walk in the same way Jesus walked?
2: I think it means to... uh, I think there's a very important premise and and there's, there's, there's a, you know, our theology matters. Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God, Uh, but he's not two persons. He's one. He's one person uh, who has a fully human nature. And he's one person who has a fully divine nature as well. Both of those natures exist in one person. Uh, Being fully divine, uh, in no way distorts Jesus's full humanity. He's a man, a person, just like every one of us, yet without sin. But he's also fully God. And there's nothing about Jesus's humanity that distorts the fact that he is fully God, in every way God. And I don't understand that, Pastor Bob. I just know that the Bible teaches that. Um and, and and part of Jesus's full humanity is that as a real human being who suffered temptation, who suffered in every way. Remember Isaiah 53, where he pro- 53, three prophecies about the Lord. He was a man of sorrows and well acquainted yeah. with grief. He was like us in every way. But his human life was lived perfectly faithful before the father. And one of the things when you study the scriptures that you see in his resurrection is that part of what is accomplished, really, I think the great part of what is accomplished in his resurrection is Jesus's risen human life. And we have to realize that someone fully human is sitting at the right hand of the father. If our theology is faithful and his risen human life now by the power of his resurrection is a power to bring the power of his life into us. And so walking by faith really is believing that God does what he says he does. Uh, and our great desire uh, it ought to be constant, it ought to be every day in our prayer, in, in our in our conversations with him, uh in in our study of his word, in our teaching of one another is lord do what you do by your grace make us like your son. And I believe walking in the same way that Jesus did is really just seeking the grace that brings the promise of the gospel presently to us, to live a life that is in the likeness of his. Now, it's an overreading of that verse to say that we become exactly like he is, because that would contradict the fact that John teaches very plainly that we do sin. But the pattern of our life ought to reflect the pattern of his life. And again, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and the Greek. And in Romans one sixteen, that's in the present tense, indicating yeah. that 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 work of salvation is an ongoing activity. And, and so if God really does that in our lives, then that's what we ought to seek. But if other things become our passions, Pastor Bob, if, other, if we get off center, And all of a sudden, it's this or that or the other. And I could list a laundry list of things, and you probably could too, of things that capture the Christian's heart and attention and focus and bring it off. If we get off center, that won't happen in our lives. We'll stagnate. We'll become something lesser than what God hoped to bring us to. You know, Ephesians 4, his great desire is that we all grow to the measure of the stature the fullness of Jesus Christ unto spiritual maturity. That's his desire. But as we see in the book of Hebrews, one of the great concerns in the scripture there is spiritual immaturity and people that stagnate there and stay there. Amen. And, and Amen. I think when we get off center, that happens.
1: A matter of fact, in Hebrews 2, we're warned not to neglect such a great salvation. You know, yes, how is sir. it possible for a believer to neglect our salvation?
2: Well, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, I, am, uh, I am writing, as I shared with you, I'm writing, I'm in the process of writing a second book, uh, and it's called, it's titled Neglecting a Great Salvation, uh, and with the subscript and exposition of the book of Hebrews. Uh, it's the first warning. Uh, In the book, there are a lot of folks I personally believe uh, I don't want to disrespect brothers and sisters who believe otherwise. Uh, A lot of folks take the warning passages in Hebrews to be warnings that that you can lose your salvation. Um, You know, I don't break fellowship with folks over that, but I I do break faith and practice with them. I don't believe any of those warnings are warnings against people who lose their salvation. Uh, I do think that the core concern that you see in the book of Hebrews is spiritual immaturity. Uh and 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 uh it's that's a that's a long discussion brother and we don't have the time yeah. to connect all the threads but the short version of it is that he chastises them at the end of Hebrews 5 with being spiritually immature telling him you know by this point you should be teachers but you're not you still need the milk of the word and not the meat. And he says something very interesting in Hebrews 6:1. He says, "Let us press on to maturity." And then he kind of goes off as Paul, or I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews personally, although he may have. But regardless, it's divine inspired scripture. Yeah, the yeah. writer of Hebrews says, Let us press on to maturity, goes off on a bit of a diversion for a second, and then he finishes his sentence and he says, And this we will do if God permits. In essence, progressing to spiritual maturity is a work of God's grace. And, and neglecting a great salvation is really doing the things that remove God's grace from our walk and growing to spiritual maturity. And, and the simple answer in the book of Hebrews is what the writer was concerned about is that the audience, and I think he was a pastor, to be honest with you, Bob, mm-hmm. the book re- comes across to me as someone with a pastor's heart, someone who loves these people dearly and is really yearning and is zealous and jealous for them because he sees them drifting. Yeah. Let me read, uh, I've got it here, I think, brother. let me just read uh, Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. He says, therefore, we must pay much pl- closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Yeah, That's an important phrase there. And then he says, for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and he's referring to the old covenant law, uh, and every transgression or disobedience received a just re- retribution, how shall we escape? implication how shall we as new covenant people escape if we neglect such a great salvation it was declared at first by the lord and it was attested to us by those who heard now neglecting a great salvation as you read through the book of hebrews is really getting off center what he was doing was writing to a people that were getting away from a faith uh, a life of faith and practice where jesus christ was the center and the references to angels the references to Moses, and the references to the Old Covenant high priesthood. uh, He goes through all of those. That's most of the book of Hebrews. And he makes the case in every one of them, Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the Aaronic priesthood. He's greater than all of these things. And in essence, he's dealing with people who were wandering back into an Old Covenant relationship with God. And in doing so, the reason for the spiritual immaturity is because Christ was falling out of the picture, and, and that old covenant relationship, which Paul teaches in Ephesians 2, Christ nullified by his death on a cross, it's no longer the means by which God's people seek him in relationship. Christ brought that change, and now you must seek him, and they weren't doing that, brother. And you get some other clues as to why they, why they were probably drifting in that direction, one of them being uh, that they, as Jewish believers, Uh, They were probably heavily persecuted. There's several references in Hebrews where he talks to them about, you know, chiding them because it seems like you're trying to escape the persecution and tribulation that comes with following Christ. So they probably were drifting back into a Jewish faith and practice because it made life easier on them. It took all the heat off of them and the persecution and the trials and the suffering went away. And he's saying, you know what? Uh, You used to rejoice in those things because they were a mark of faithfulness and now you don't experience it anymore. Life is easier for you, but life is not better for you. And I think that's how we neglect the simple answer to your question. We neglect a great salvation by taking Jesus Christ and pushing him out of the center. And brother, you know that when you push the king of kings out of the center, there really is no nudging him out. If you nudge him out, you've completely moved him out. He's either center or he's not. There's no, mm, yep. a little bit.
1: There's no drift the Holy spirit thing. is a gentleman. If you want him to leave, he'll leave. He'll, let, <laughs> he'll, yeah, he'll,
2: he'll, he'll, he'll let you go. He'll give yep. you the rope.
1: Yep. You know, Amen.
2: and, Amen. Uh, and, and well, sometimes a, again, I'm sorry, brother, you, you go. I i going say, when go will, when
1: will this new book be, be released?
2: Uh, that's to be determined. I am Still in the not. process of, uh, uh, I've got a book proposal uh, in, uh, I, it was requested uh, by a Christian publisher. Uh, we're currently in the process of of kind of working through that and negotiating it. So Lord willing, you know, perhaps sometime next year. Praise um, God. Neglecting a Great Salvation, the, an exposition from the book okay. of Hebrews.
1: When it gets published, I need you to come back on so we can talk about that book as well.
2: Yes, sir. Amen. I I Amen. um uh I would I would love to come back on. Uh, I love Amen. talking to you, brother. So Amen. this is this is a wonderful thing for me to do. Amen. And and you let me ramble on like a pastor. So I thank you for that
1: too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Pastor, this has been so interesting. How can someone obtain a copy of your book, The Gospel, a redemption, or restoration story? Is it on Amazon?
2: Yeah, it's on Amazon. <laughs> it's on Barnes and Noble. Uh and uh if you want a personally signed copy. Uh, at a competitive price. Um, I do have personal copies that I sell and sign through a Facebook shop. If you get on Facebook and you search for pastor and author Mike O'Dowd, uh, you should find a link to my shop there where you can order the book there. And I'll send you a personally signed copy with uh, hopefully a message that is blessing to the reader uh, as I send it. So those three ways.
1: Amen, amen. I and if someone to ask a question or receive more information, or maybe do an interview like this, how can they do that? How can someone get in touch with you?
2: Uh, they can easily get in touch with me. Again, the easiest way is on that pastor and author, Michael Dowd, page and, and message me, uh, and we can go and run in whatever direction we need to from there.
1: Amen, amen. So I'll I'll go ahead and put links to that in the show notes below.
2: Folks, thank you, sir.
1: You know, we may never be called on to fly an A 10 in combat as Pastor Mike did starting out, but we are called to be witnesses for Jesus, which is what he's doing now. Amen. Just like Pastor Mike, we have our own backstory. It's a different story for everyone around you, but yet our end story should be the same. Glory to God. We need to witness for Jesus, we need to make disciples for Jesus. Pastor Mike's book, The Gospel of Redemption and Restoration Story, will help you to fulfill your end story. Amen. Don't <laughs> shut Amen. me down when I'm preaching good. Drop <laughs> down in the show notes. <laughs> click the links right there. Order your copy of this great book. In fact, I'd recommend you order two or three copies and pass them out to your friends, especially if you're <laughs> in the ministry. Amen. Buy a copy for your pastor, too. I know he'll appreciate it. Glory to God. <laughs> pastor, thank you for coming on, taking the time to come on the program today. And share all about your great book. I do appreciate your time, man. I enjoyed this conversation.
2: And thank you, Pastor Bob, for your kindness, for your grace, and for your enthusiasm for the Lord and his calling in your life. That just uh, that oozes from you, brother. And okay. I appreciate that immensely.
1: Amen. Folks, Amen. that is all the time we have for today. For Pastor Michael Dowd and myself, this is Pastor Bob Reminded to be blessed in all that you do.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.